Welcome to the Smart Industry Podcast, Remaking Industry, where we dive deep into the tools, techniques, and technologies that are accelerating digital transformation. Okay, thank you for joining us today for uh, the joint podcast. Today, uh, it is a joint effort with Plant Services Tool Belt Podcast and Smart Industries Remaking Industry Podcast. My name is Chris McNamara editor-in-chief with Smart Industry. We're joined by uh, Tom Wilk, editor-in-chief with Plant Services. I'll introduce him in one sec. Um, we're uh, looking at the Crystal Ball Report. This is um, Smart, in- in Smart Industry's annual forecasting report. We launch it every January, looking to trends in the um, digitalization of manufacturing space. Um, it's, a, it's a wide um, net that we cast. There's many components to it, lots of tools, techniques, and technologies. And we invite thought leaders from across the smart industry universe to lend their perspective to the report. It's usually our biggest report, um, which we really appreciate. Um, And we're we're very thankful now to get uh, Tom's perspective here today um, from the plant services lens and uh, see his thoughts on some of the stuff coming down the road. A little bit about the report here. Uh, The digitalization of industry is rapidly evolving. That's a good thing, but it makes predicting future trends particularly tricky and particularly important because the future can come as quickly as tomorrow. Here in our annual crystal ball report, we gather predictions from dozens of industry thought leaders on the immediate future of manufacturing. And one of those thought leaders is Tom Wilk, my colleague, Tom, hello. Hello, Chris, how are you today? I am doing great. Just before the call, we were comparing uh, minor illnesses. So I hope that we can make it through the podcast here unscathed. Um, let me pick your brain a little bit. Uh, maybe a quick introduction about um, you and plant services, um, and kind of general in general, your thoughts on uh, trends in the manufacturing space in 2023. Sure. Well, for those on smart industry who are unfamiliar with plant services, we're a title that focuses on smart solutions for maintenance and reliability. We target most of the operations sector, uh, but we know the majority of our readers are asset management professionals of some kind, whether it's uh, facility management, whether it's individual asset management. Um, And I'm excited, Chris, to be on the podcast today. I'm excited to do this this episode with you because it's a chance to get the Smart Industry Crystal Ball Report in front of our audience in a more deep way um, than just sort of giving them a link to download. It's a chance to talk through the issues which some of our readers are definitely facing. I know predictive maintenance comes up quite a bit in your report, digitalization. Um, but also, you know, on, on the human resources side, one trend that I'm seeing, Chris, for 2023 is the continued employment trend uh, across the board for manufacturing. Um, we'll dive into some ways that digitalization is going to change or alleviate this issue, but I, I couldn't help but notice in the latest unemployment figures that, uh, coming from the U.S. are that there's 3.5% unemployment across the board and 1.8% unemployment in manufacturing. Um, I can't recall a number for manufacturing so low. The last time I checked, we were actually above 3%. So I think what we're looking at is a world where digital technology is going to help alleviate this employment crunch in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. Interesting stuff. Um, do you, you know, I, we're at an unusual time in history here, globally and particularly in the manufacturing and industrial space that, that we focus on. Um, is that shifting in the past? So I, I really kind of take a narrow look at some of these time windows. How is that changing in, in recent years from your perspective? Are we 
are we stabilizing after the the um, tumultuous period with the pandemic and what that did to um, workforce challenges and hiring and personnel, or do problems persist? What's your take? Well, it, it's a really good question because in a lot of ways, this is the first year <clears throat> that manufacturing, especially my my audience, has been getting back to more business as usual since the pandemic. It took a couple of really horrible waves up front and then one last Omicron wave. Um, but we're seeing plant teams uh, more and more being uh, permitted to attend in-person conferences, which is terrific. Yeah. Um, as far as those unemployment numbers go and the or employment numbers go, you know, you look at data from the feds and you see the two big unemployment spikes from right around 2008, the Great Recession, and 2020, the pandemic. Um, numbers right before the pandemic were trending right around 2.5% unemployment manufacturing. Um, and then that number, of course, shot up for uh, about 18 months, and now we're back below 2%. So um, who knows how low this number is going to go, but um, I think employment recovery has happened clearly a lot more quickly since the pandemic uh, came upon us. You know, it, it took about 10 years to move from 12.5% unemployment down to 2% unemployment in manufacturing uh, after the Great Recession. And we're already back below two, two, two percent unemployment. Um, and here we are three years on from the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. interesting stuff. Um, just a quick run through uh, on some of the trends that uh, wove through the report here. Again, um, you know, we solicit input from a, a, a wide um, spectrum of thought leaders in the industry, manufacturing, digitalization space um, to contribute their thoughts to um, this crystal ball report. Uh, but themes emerge here, you know, workforce challenges is certainly one of them. Um, the, the kind of, if I had to put a label on um, the bigger picture of the report, it's it's tumultuous, it's uncertainty, mm. uncertainty persists. Here's a quote from Calvin's Peter Harding. He, he says, uh, while it's cha challenging to predict what 2023 will bring, it is likely we will see more shocks to the markets. Uh, these shocks force companies to be both nimble and resilient. If you don't uh, adapt quickly, you will not survive. So uh, a little bit of a, a warning there. Um, the spin is that, you know, with a lot of these challenges, you know, uh, about half of the issues addressed in the report here um, are problems spurred by this, this period of, of uncertainty globally. And then the other half are opportunities created by a lot of these challenges, particularly in like mm -hmm. the, in the automation space where we focus, it is spurred, and you Tom know this very well too, it has spurred rapid adoption of a lot of these concepts. You know, when, when people mm -hmm. can't come into factories, when the, there are workforce challenges, when there's a need for appealing to younger audiences or to capture tribal knowledge, a lot of these tools that we're talking about um, are perfectly suited for some of those challenges. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, and anecdotally, one of the things that my readers are facing, which we'll see in the report, are supply chain issues, right? Um, I think my favorite story is the one where I, I know a guy who works in a plant that puts coatings on microchips, and we talked about this issue at the height of the microchip shortage. One of the reasons for that shortage was that the supply chains were so wonky that uh, his his plant never really knew which coating they were going to get on any given day, mm -hmm. and if they would match up with the microchip in stock that needed that coating, right? So what he mentioned was that he and his teams got very nimble at changing over the product lines uh, as much as once a week. Uh, so 
I don't see any sign that the supply chain challenges have gone away to any great degree. I know a lot of them are easing up here and there. Um, but you, you talked about unpredictability. Um, what I'm picking up is that a lot of the teams that I've talked to have learned how to live with that. And, and it, that's that's a bit of a red flag for me because when it does come to the asset management space, you've got people who often are very comfortable in that firefighting position. And a lot of what best practices uh, examine is how to move from being a firefighter, which you can get very good at, into being more of a proactive manager of the assets. And so um, there's other signs that we're not backsliding as much as that. Um, but it, this this is something that I would watch out for, too, and on, on the part of plant teams is that, you know, for teams that go that can go back and forth between firefighting mode and proactive mode, um, all these technologies, which your report covers, Chris, talk about ways to get more comfortable in proactive mode to know what's coming. Yeah, and that benefits everybody, right? That yeah. that enables your workforces to focus on bigger picture and strategy, and as opposed to putting out fires, as you mentioned, you know, things can run more smoothly. There's less downtime. There's less chaos. Um, yeah. On that supply chain front, here's a, a, a quote from Project 44's uh, Bart uh, de Munich. Uh, it's a tricky name to pronounce. He references a circular supply chain, mm -hmm. um, you know, rather than linear supply chains where things happen step by step, uh, one after the other. He recommends and he sees coming uh, coming in 2023 more of a, a circular fashion where everything constantly moves and evolves, taking into account real-time data as things occur. Uh, that's kind mm -hmm. of vague approach to that, but I like the concept of, of, you know, maintaining that nimble approach and being cognizant of the fact that, you know, supply chains are going to crumble and, and have hiccups and challenges and uh, remaining nimble is critical to, to adjusting to that, right? Right, right. And it's funny too. Uh, I went to the IFS Unleashed user group events in October, and there mm -hmm. were two software developments that were that were placed front and center at this at the IFS event. Uh, one of them was uh, more automated or software-driven resource scheduling, uh, so that uh, the idea was to link your ERP system with your CMMS system so that you would have visibility into, A, the raw materials coming in, and then B, the team members who were present that day and so you could match the match the the, the job that was ready to go with the people who were there mm -hmm. um i i think that was intriguing is that is that uh, a lot of that firefighting that people do uh may actually be alleviated through you know uh ai driven or machine learning driven software that can get to know your business better and will know what job can proceed at what point in the day or point in the week um so, it, it's funny it's I'm sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say it's it's like a circular economy for the workers too. One once you you know not only what materials are coming in, but then how best to get the work done. Yeah. Interesting. Rather than making the workforce adapt to the processes, making the processes adapt to the workforce at hand and to the supplies at hand and to what's available mm -hmm. to, to the work to be done. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the vision. They showed a couple of case studies where they were implementing it and uh it, it may be as much of a vision as a reality, but I did see some of the reality in action down there and uh it's it's a matter of making sure that you've got the right data that you need and that's always the challenge, right, is to collect the right data. Yeah, that's at the heart of of everything we're talking about here. Um other issues uh themes in the report here, obviously, you know, global conflict. Um Everything from from climate crises to supply chain disruptions to um, you know war. We've had, we're on a number of features in smart industry in recent months, and a couple of people referenced it in the report here. 
Um, mm-hmm. What's going on in Ukraine? Um, you know, someone mentioned uh, smarter manufacturers pivoting uh, early on with, with the developments in Ukraine based on recognizing the fact that fertilizer is going to be disrupted or, or mm-hmm. our grain is going to be disrupted. We've done pieces about mm-hmm. um, additive manufacturers producing um, tourniquets for Ukraine, kind of shifting the focus of what they're producing um, to meet current demands. Interesting mm-hmm. stuff there. It is. I've seen people link the grain situation in Ukraine to the price of eggs in the U.S. because feed for chickens has gone up because th- that part of the supply chain is uh, less certain, shall we say. I've, I've never, I, I don't know if there's uncertainty in getting grain, but the, the cost is uncertain for sure anymore. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's. Yeah, it, it's it's quite a validation of, of of the circular global economy that that that's in an incident halfway around the world from one country can directly yeah. impact the the operation of people in, in countries all over the place. Tom, you've got a, a couple of uh, kids running around the house. You go through a lot of eggs or what? Yeah, in fact, I, I found uh, two dozen on sale for five bucks the other day at a local store. And my wife was like, oh, are we a bootleggers family now? <laughs> Is that what's going on? <laughs> you can resell them. But uh, your your wife is a great baker, I know. So you guys probably go through more eggs than most, huh? Yeah, we we've we've had a few, a, a little bit less homemade cookies and cakes than usual. But honestly, we're we're trying to make sure that uh, you know that the scrambled eggs on Saturday is still a thing in our house. Okay. <laughs> nice, lovely. Uh, other themes in the report again, a fallout from the pandemic that informs everything that we talk about currently. Regrettably, um, you know, on the plus side is the embrace of digitalization as a result of that. Um, scaling out artificial intelligence and machine learning programs, as we mentioned a few minutes ago. Um, rising energy costs, uh, mm. the role of electricity in that space, um, electronic vehicles and the batteries and, and how that's spurring change mm-hmm. across manufacturing and distribution and transportation and all that good stuff. Yeah. And then uh, a demand for sustainable practices, ESG efforts um, all go hand in hand. Right. Well, this is this is the second straight year that the ARC and the industry forum is going to focus on sustainability as a key theme. I know you and I both attend that conference. Yeah. Um, the other development at the IFS show was that they mentioned that more and more clients were asking them to, with help in data gathering for ESG reporting, especially environmental. Um, you mentioned it before. It's the fact that if you have the right data, you'll know what's happening. And, and I think at this at the at the moment, what I'm seeing, Chris, is that a lot of companies are in data gathering mode. Um, the let, let's say you're a factory in Europe, in Germany, and you're being asked to understand the environmental footprint of your products, and you have not yet reached out to your suppliers to ask them for their data. Well, suppliers may have it, but how do you ask them for the right numbers? Uh, what numbers matter the most? Um, I think 2023, you'll see a lot of emphasis staying on ESG, especially the E. Um, but it, it's that it's a data gathering, people talking to each other, figuring out what numbers matter the most in terms of reporting and actual action. I'm curious to know what you're hearing on that front, Chris. Yeah, you know, the, the big trend with the ESG that I'm hearing about, and this is more on the sustainability, uh, sustainability component of that, is not considering it a, a, a chore or a checkbox, really. And, you know, this might be the perspective of solution providers who are trying to make themselves look fantastic. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, it can really be, uh, an optimization tool. It can be a, a revenue generator. It can attract young talent. It can attract new customers because not only do we have to do this, but why don't we, if we do it properly, it can be a real benefit for the larger um, business strategy. So we'll see yeah. how that plays out. 
time time was chris when i'd go to conferences like the ptc liveworks event in boston or even uh uh there are a couple of software events out in california um osi softs events specifically and that's how a lot of younger people would be drawn into industry which is that they would start as data scientists or as uh, as product designers and they would realize, holy cow, there's a huge need for that skill set in industry. And so they would make the move more to like industrial asset management. Um, but I like the way you're thinking here, where as sustainability becomes a more pressing issue, as kids my age, 11 and 9, realize that they are going to have to help solve the problem, whether they, whether they like, it, like it or not. Um, it's a good way into industry for them if industry isn't an immediate attractor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I hear from... <clears throat> from manufacturers all the time that the uh, need for data scientists and the, and the um, you know, if you're in that position, you are really um, in the catbird seat, what, what's that phrase? I mean, these data scientists can really pick and choose uh, where they want to go and they're in very high demand, which is great. Right. So that, that fuels a lot of these, these programs that we're talking about. Right. Um, you know, it's, it, it's sorry, interesting. No? There, there's, there's another opportunity out there, Chris. Um, and it was something which one of our new columnists, Adrian Messer, uh, was reporting on. He did a quick poll on LinkedIn and wanted to find out uh, which of his uh, contacts and colleagues in the maintenance and reliability industry thought of various pressing issues facing our side of the business. And he asked him, out of, out of, out of these four issues, um, working on your maintenance backlog, uh, maintenance resource shortages, supply chain and training, what was the most pressing issue facing you? And I think he and I were both surprised. The top issue people selected was training new personnel. Hmm. There's a huge opportunity right now, a huge education opportunity on behalf of both professional trainers, um, but also on behalf of people like professional associations, uh, channel partners, distributors, um, service centers, and in media groups like ours, Chris, as we give webinars on these topics, um, to help plant teams write out all these changes that you're talking about. Um, you mentioned that this there, there there's things are happening quickly in this field. Um, <clears throat> sorry, I lost my train of thought there. Um, yeah. well, I, I, I was speaking with somebody this week and they referenced a manufacturer they work with who said that 25, you know, they, they start with pools of, of, of train, you know, trainees, new hires, and it's like a week long training process or something like that to get them up to speed to work in the facility. And by by go day, by the last day, 25% of them are left. 75% of, of people who start the training program just flake off. Yeah. So that's wasted time. That's wasted money. That's wasted effort, all that. Yeah. Well, and there's another trend in your report, which I hope we could focus in on, too, which is uh, something the Honeywell team brought up about um, the fact that SaaS models are going to change the way that people own or don't own their own sensors, devices. I'll get to that quote in a second. Um, but uh, sorry about that. One, one of the kids just got home from school, so we'll have to edit that out. Um, the emergence of, of, of uh, you know, software as a service in terms of, of yeah. what? Uh, um, uh, well, one of, the, one of the dynamics that I'm observing is that you used to, as a maintenance team, have professional service center partners who would keep up with as many of the latest trends as, as you yourself could, right? And so if you weren't able to fix your, say, 100 horsepower motor or 100 or above, um, you would take it to a service center and they would have the latest technologies, right? Um, 
The challenge, though, is that assets are getting more complex, right? And so vendors more and more are offering turnkey maintenance and asset management services, especially network services like your report talks about. Um, and so some of the some of the tightness of those relationships with independent service centers, for example, or even media groups are changing as as plants may become more closely partnered with vendors who supply the services. And I, I do think the things that the Honeywell team points out are happening. The quote was, as part of a SaaS model, end users will no longer own the sensors and devices, demanding substantial capex and time resources. The market is shifting to providing equipment, installation, maintenance, and the IoT tech bundled into a monthly service fee. Uh, I couldn't agree more. That is 100% happening. It's not 100% happening across every plant, but it is happening. Um, as plants get more comfortable, uh, either through contact or just through necessity, because you can't hire enough people in the plant floor anymore to keep up with the complexity of every asset in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so we're we're seeing people address these on a case by case basis, uh, uh, especially when it comes to critical assets like chiller units um, or electrical systems. You know, if 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 a compressor comes in. And honestly, it would take longer to train someone to fix it than to engage with uh, the the vendor for services. Then, then you consider a vendor service package for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's an interesting world where where the relationships that used to be in place even ten years ago are, are being strongly impacted by the complexity of the asset and who can attract the talent to fix it. Yeah, I'm seeing that in particular that um, ro- robotics as a service where. Robots are so daunting and costly and confusing, and you know that that's really appealing to a lot of people to dip their toes into robotics or cobots um, by you know doing robotics as a service, testing something out, uh, you know, off uh, putting the, the the onus of maintenance and training and, and application of the software onto the provider and mm-hmm. just reaping the benefits of that. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, I, I liked what the Honeywell team was saying about that. And I, I think more plants should be aware of these sort of turnkey bundles, because honestly, small and medium sized businesses uh, need these just as much as the larger operations. You know, I've, there's a, a candy company not a mile and a half from my house, Chris, and there's no way that I know, that I, I know very well, Tom. Right. Uh, you're talking about Ferrara Pan. Yeah. Atomic Fireballs, okay. Lemonheads. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, I know I've not been on site in the plant yet, um, but as an independent single plant operation, it's hard for me to imagine they can afford a maintenance team that could be that could be versed in all these technologies. So uh, a single plant operation like that um, would would really uh, be benefit from these options. Yeah, yeah, and and I found that <clears throat> those smaller shops are just naturally inclined to believe that. These programs are just for the big wigs and for the global companies, and they're too costly and all that stuff. And at least from the provider's perspective, they insist that you know we can start small, we can start with one machine, you can you can mm-hmm. you know, see the benefits and scale out after that. So we'll see what yeah. that shakes out. Um, just going down the list here, themes, mm-hmm. uh, growth of autonomous operations. We just touched on you know the the emergence of robotics and and um, software as a service and robotics as a service. Humanless production, boundless automation is, is how uh, Emerson Peters uh, Zornio refers to this in the crystal ball report here. Um, a lot of people touched on that, obviously. And again, that's central to 
our our focus, smart industry focus. Um, so that's yeah. the natural response there. Um, new capabilities. Everybody's talking about new toys uh, at play in the space. Uh, the capa communication capabilities afforded by 5G, wireless capabilities to equip remote workers, augmented and virtual reality components to equip those workers, remote enabling, as we just touched on, particularly workers that aren't going into facilities or workers that are require less training to do advanced uh, things up on a, a turbine or in some you know, dangerous mm -hmm. spot, they can reference the, the skill set of, of an expert back at home base. Um, yeah. That's repeated throughout the report there. Any insight on the um, maintenance front in that, in that respect? Any uh, toys at play you see emerging in 2023? In the plant yeah, very very specifically now that we're coming out of the pandemic a lot of plants took the opportunity to at least play with wireless sensors that send data to the cloud right um due to the fact that i i think plant workers in general were considered essential more than others uh so most of them may not have had the luxury of working from home but a lot of them would try to if they could right so why not try out a technology which which can enable uh, uh distancing uh through a pandemic um what we've seen in our latest predictive maintenance survey, Chris, and this came out in, in late 2022, uh -huh. is a mainstreaming of these technologies. You know, for the first time since we did this survey, we do it every other year. We've been doing mm -hmm. it since 2014. And the number of respondents late last year who said their PDM program is not effective, for the first time it dropped into the single digits. It was under 9%, right? Um, the flip side of that is that 70% of respondents said their program was either satisfactory or needs some improvement. So it's a, a gigantic meh. Like, yes, we know the technology. We know its value. We know its payback. We know that it works. It has been mainstreamed enough where people can simply gripe about it, right? <laughs> it's, Are the solutions getting better or is um, the, the um, adoption and, and know-how improving or is it both? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both. I would center it more on the application, Chris. Um, that same survey turned up the three most commonly, the three most common type of applications for the uh, wireless remote tech is rotational assets, electrical assets, and HVAC and HVAR assets. Um, rotational, uh, because those are the, I, I think those are the, lend themselves the most to non-destructive testing uh, through vibration analysis and infrared analysis. Uh, electrical, obviously, because that's a mission critical asset. And same thing for HVAC, HVAR. If your cooling system goes down, your recipes get thrown off if you're, if you're a manufacturer. And so um, you can't afford for that equipment to have unplanned downtime. Um, yeah, I, I, <clears throat> there's there's been advances made when corrosion technologies, Chris, uh, to make sure your pipes aren't going to start leaking or bursting. But but any technology which focuses on one of those three assets, I think they, they, that's where you see the, the most strides with plants. Um, I do want to give a shout out towards one kind of technology called motion amplification. Uh, the, the, the leading product has been developed by RDI Technologies, and it's essentially a, a high-speed camera that, that uh, films your asset in motion <clears throat> in operation, and you can separate out the images by frequency. So you can take a look at what the image looks like at 60 hertz at 80 hertz at 100 hertz mm -hmm. and what you can the images you can you can you can identify and isolate which frequency is causing what kind of vibration in the asset you can oh. see the asset move at 60 hertz but then at 80 or 100 and then trace back uh the 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 source of the vibration to remediate it whether you need an, an additional strut on the base plate 
or you simply need to reposition the asset. It's fascinating stuff. Yeah, interesting. And and uh, that's new to me, but you know, I'm familiar with uh, the growth of use of cameras in the you know the general manufacturing space in terms of uh, mm -hmm. quality control and all that. And everything's getting cheaper and and more mm -hmm. easily applied and smarter and and artificial intelligence and all that stuff. So yeah, it's stuff. funny. Visual tools, visual diagnostic tools. Uh, there there's a number of tools which also help render visual images out of acoustic leaks, whether it's ultrasonic or, or, or just sonic. Um, you know, you can look towards UE systems or Fluke for, for these kind of tools where you, you, you point the, you point the uh, listening device towards a leak and you not only get a sense of the, the sound of the leak, but also it will give you visual representation of where that sound is emanating so you can pinpoint the leak. Um, that plus the technology, Plus motion amplification technology. I'd say anyone listening to this podcast should watch out for um, visual diagnostic tools. That's I can't even say it's the wave of the future. It's already here. Yeah, excellent. Um, again, a couple of other themes in the report. Um, obviously, cybersecurity is paramount as always. Cyber bad guys are getting smarter. Vulnerabilities are growing with widened connectivity. Uh, defense programs are getting better. Hopefully, uh, personnel are getting better at being smarter, but um, that's not always the case. And then lastly, of course, at the at the core of all these things is industrial data uh, and gleaning that data from uh, versus edge versus cloud versus hybrid environments. Mm -hmm. um, and the, you know, the uh, greater awareness of the importance of industrial data and the, the democratizing that data and making it useful for everybody, making sure everybody uh, has access to that um, in a manner that enables them to work smarter, all that good stuff. Tom, uh, industrial data in the plant services world, any trends you see? Yeah, uh, protection and integration. You know, you touched on them both. I'm curious in your take on this too. Cyber is a, a, a genuine concern. And I think that my readers expect to have some responsibility for say network patching and system patching. But they don't consider it their responsibility to protect the entire networks. Um, so I know a lot of your readers cross the divide, though, as much as in IT as OT. So they may feel a stronger sense of responsibility, or at least the vendors would, building in cyber tech into their devices yeah. too to make them make them secure. What's your What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, it's still from from the people I speak with, it's still a concern. It's still really limiting full adoption of a lot of these connected uh, digital approaches. People are wary of connecting themselves to the wider world because it makes them vulnerable, and they're right in that respect. But if it's done smartly, um, you reap the benefits of doing that without causing potential harm. So, who knows? The you know the uh, security professionals uh, tout that. Uh, there are no problems, and then the people on the ground reference uh, real problems. So, somewhere in the yeah. room is the uh, is the right answer. You mentioned data democratization too, and that's a real thing too. I I, I think that links back to the training challenge, where um, there's an opportunity for folks to understand what data is the data they need, right? We, we uh, It's almost a truism by now with you and I that we hear stories of people saying, don't just try and boil the ocean, pick a project that's pressing and run with it. But that really is true. The, the, I'll, I'll tell you a story from a couple of years back. It was a, a pharmaceutical manufacturer who, were, who was going to implement prescriptive analytics. They were going to try and do outcome-based predictive maintenance. 
and the unit that the, the first task was to identify the unit that would um, benefit from such an expense of time and resources. Mm-hmm. It was the chiller unit because of the, you know, if if a production line went down, they would lose some of that day's product. If the chiller went down, potentially a week's worth of product as every line goes down because the recipe gets thrown off. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I when we go to places like ARC, I always like listening to the stories where people identified what the critical asset was and what they did about it. Um, and I hope to inspire our readers and listeners into thinking in terms of that at their at their factory too. And you know what? At your factory, it could be a line. It could be a single line, it could, a, a, a trouble line that somehow never corrects itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think more often there's probably an asset somewhere deep inside the facility, which is more critical than a single line to focus on. Yeah, and it's the the people working in those facilities and the people and the decision makers in the C-suite that have to determine what that is. And, and you know, that that's a theme that runs through everything that we do here is, you know, there's all these um, wonderful technologies at play, um, but central to that all is the people implementing them, the people making decisions based on the information provided by those um, mm-hmm. technologies and, you know, making the people work smarter within the um, digitally transformed environment. So yeah. it's also trite, but it, it makes sense. It does. And I know another one of our columnists, Jeff Scheiber, he's our person on the plant floor columnist writing about the the issues he's hearing. And in his latest column, he's encouraging people to, when they're doing a, uh, an analysis uh, of root cause failure, whether it's on a single asset, he's encouraging them to think, take that approach and take it from the asset level up to a higher level, like up to the line level or the plant level, because that's how you get to really reduce uh, failures in your plant. Uh, but re- by by uh, by by understanding on a on a plant level exactly what the most critical assets are, and again, mm-hmm. that's that's what these digital technologies can often uh, enable. Is it, it, you 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 don't have to collect a whole data lake, but it's easier to try and collect certain kinds of data and to find out, okay, how can I manage the asset better in this case? What do I need to know? Working smarter. Let's yeah. end with uh, an optimistic quote here. This is from Bob. Uh, Matt O'Bride with with Skynet, he says, uh, 2023 will be a year, a year of achievement. As we predicted last year, companies large and small are recognizing the inherent limitations of traditional approaches and protocols to mm-hmm. achieve secure, robust data communications on large-scale deployments. Instead, they are favoring a secure-by-design approach. But the coming year, we will continue to see fewer abandoned pilots and more successful digital transformation projects. Yeah. It's uh, nice to hear. Um, <clears throat> I hope that's true. I got to. I got to think that it is. I mean, year over year, we see, you know, scaled efforts, less failed projects, less abandoned projects, greater awareness of how this stuff works, and a willingness to engage. Mm-hmm. At the same time, it's a struggle. It is. It is. I, I. I think there's a lot of truth to what he says, though, because again, for at least from our, the asset management perspective, a lot of the technologies that people may have had questions about, especially in the wireless sensor level, uh, people said, really, now or never. And so they, they started proving them out, right? And so, um, as you say, it always will take the human being to make the final decision. Um, but there's a lot of optimism, as you see what was complex 10 years ago, finally being mainstreamed. Um, and I do think the next big frontier is sorting through the potential data lakes that people could collect. Um, and and identifying a what's what's the best data in understanding the the health of my factory and my assets and and b what are the most important data when it comes to environmental uh, reporting and compliance 
uh, and those will probably not be the same data sets, ironically enough. Um, but th those are the two where if, if I had to watch for 2023 is what people are going to have their eye more closely on. It's going to be that. Um, and I'd say C, I'm seeing a lot more remote instruction being devices being being developed. I see uh, companies developing out what used to be just called Google Glasses, where you've you've got glasses that look at a tag on a machine, and in the glasses you can pull up the work order for that machine. You can pull up the job instructions for that machine. Uh, everything sort of filters through uh, a shared collection of of data on that particular asset and can be called up in a wearable device or an iPad. Um, that in particular is going to be just more and more ubiquitous. So if you're not used to it now, I'd say get used to it. That's that that's happening. Yeah, and that benefits smaller workforces and younger workforces and mm -hmm. less trained workforces <clears throat> and remote workforces. I'll be uh, some of the challenges we addressed earlier in the, in the discussion yeah. here. Yeah. Tom well, Wolf with Plant Services and the Tool Belt Podcast. Thank you for sharing your perspective here today. Thank you for having me on your podcast, and I'm excited to make this sort of a tandem episode. Uh, let me ask you one last question. What was your biggest surprise from the crystal ball? Was, was there something that stood out to you as either reinforcing in a big way something you saw or something which took you off guard? Um, yeah, Tom, good question. Um, you know, again, it is the, as the, the larger world still works through uncertainty on a million fronts, uh, environmental problems and, and political problems and pandemic and workforce challenges and all that stuff. Um, you know, so too do these digital transformation techniques. Uh, you know, they're, they, again, they're, they are falling victim to some of the problems that we're facing in the broader sense, and they are coming to prominence to address a lot of those problems as well. So it's, it's uh, I think both sides of the problem there. It's there are challenges that are uniquely um, difficult uh, for the world of modern industry. And there are elements of modern manufacturing that are uniquely suited to address those challenges. How's that Excellent. for both sides of the coin, Tom? <laughs> no, it's good. It, it's it's a topic which is tough to throw your arms around, but uh, I'm, I'm always struck by the fact that, you know, I'd say even five years ago, we, we heard people talking sustainability, but not in quite this way that we're hearing. And again, five years ago, there were wireless sensors, but they weren't being deployed in quite the way they are now. So so thing, the, things do change. It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I can only imagine that the same sustainability topic is going to be uh, more and more pressing and critical and important. and hopefully um you know smarter approaches to this emerge because um it is certainly um there's certainly a a, a timeline or a deadline that we need to address uh, well I, some of the some of the most in interesting work being done in this area is being done by howard penrose uh he's a motors specialist and he's been focusing for the past couple of years on uh on wind power installations uh trying to understand uh, what's happening with those assets without having to send a technician all the way up every time to figure out uh, and take measurements in the motors. So uh, we're going to see we're going to see a lot of innovation in that area as sustainables uh, grow and grow and grow. We're going to see a lot more professionals moving into that space on how to manage and maintain the sustainables. Uh, so for anyone who's who's interested in looking in, in that direction, check out the work being done by Howard Penrose. He's got a newsletter out there, too. Excellent. 
Tom, thanks again. Uh, we appreciate being on the Tool Belt podcast here. Great talking with you today, Chris. It's a big yeah, report, and I encourage all my, all my readers to download it and take a look and, and see what's happening both in your media sector and, and what's happening in the space all around you, because there's a lot of interesting perspectives in this report. Amen. And we appreciate uh, listeners of the Remaking Industry podcast. We're thrilled to have you join us here today. Do check out the Crystal Ball Report uh, at smartindustry.com. Um, and as always, we encourage you to go out and make it a smart day. <laughs>